This is the word of God. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Please join me in this responsive reading. All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Amen. I add my greetings to those you have heard and my gratitude uh, to all those who volunteered and who led and participated in Vacation Bible School this week. It was a phenomenal time as a First Presbyterian Church family with many of our friends here to celebrate the salvation of the Lord, uh, to cultivate his light and his love among us and through us. And this is what we are going to study and to be shaped by today as we look at Moses' salvation song. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you to, to get one. It's in your pew rack in front of you. Open it on your phone. We're not threatened by little techno Bibles in here. It's okay. What we want is for God's word to be here and then to move into your head and to your heart so that you can know the grace of God more fully and experience the abundant life of God that he offers more fruitfully. And the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to do that. And we're going to continue in our series in seeing how the, the songs of Scripture shape the saints and how through the shaped saints, God shapes the world. And He wants to use you here in San Antonio, in our neighborhoods. We, we are hungry for victory in this city. Now, and if you don't believe me, you need only to see the reception that we've given to our first round, first number one draft pick. I'm just going to call him Wimby because I can't pronounce his name. Our city has been so excited to welcome this man whose wingspan is eight feet wide. That is massive. Did you see the picture of him standing next to David Robinson? David Robinson looked like he was in the YMCA league compared to this guy. Huge. And our city is excited and hungry for victory. Why? Because there's been past championships that have whet our appetite. There are hopes for future championships. And our hopes are on the shoulders of a man who I don't think can carry the weight of our hunger for victory alone. This same paradigm is what we're going to use as we study the victory of God. There is this past victory that leads us to sing. It's a secure victory. There is a future victory that we can be far more sure of in Christ than we can of a hopeful NBA title that we'd love to get next year. I'll be the first in line to say that. But we have a sure hope because as Christians, we have a greater champion, a proven champion, Jesus Christ. And so using the, the song of Moses that is 
sung in the song of salvation after victory in Exodus. And then before conquering the, uh, uh, the land of Canaan in Deuteronomy. And then add, at the end of history in Revelation chapter 15, we are going to be invited into this participation. And the whole goal is not for you to hear God's word and say, well, that was a good sermon. You probably won't say that. But the goal is for God to use you in a city that's hungry for victory, in a people in our places that are marked more with despair than delight, more with fear than faith, more with loss than living abundantly in love. You see, God wants to use his people to bring light and to bring love. And so we're encouraging you to join scripture in listening for other people that you might be shaped by the songs of scripture so that through you, God might shape the world. This has been the paradigm we've been establishing. And we've done it lyrically to this point. We started off with Hannah's song and 2 Samuel chapter 2, and we saw how the lyrics of that song shaped Mary in her surprise and potential discouragement, leading her, driving her to community in Luke chapter 1 with Elizabeth, and singing a song of, of hope in the midst of what could be discouraging, a surprise teenage pregnancy that completely changed her trajectory of life. And then we looked at Psalm 118, a song that repeats the refrain, the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. And that song that was written by David was, was used on the night before Jesus was betrayed as he went to make war with sin on the cross. But even historically in Scripture, King Jehoshaphat, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 21, you'll see that he called Israel when they were going into battle to be led by a choir who sang that song. Could you imagine joining that chorus? Walking into war behind the lyrics, the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. Also, Ezra was shaped by that song for God's people in a time of restoration. And last week, we, we looked at Psalm 13, a, a psalm of lament. And we saw how the very structure of Psalm 13 actually is a structure for Habakkuk's book. And Habakkuk, looking, living in a time of desperation and dark times, drew upon the language of the song of lament. And through that, shaped generations, including many of us, and we celebrated how, how the Habakkuk's closing call of worship, what it means to, to live by faith in, in a season of frustration and fruitlessness in a fractured society, to sing of the Lord's sovereign grace and to know he's working all things according to his will for the good of those who belong to him and the glory of his name, that one day his glory will cover the earth as the water covers the sea. And we've been challenging our congregation, to allow the songs of Scripture to shape us so that we can shape the world. And as you listen today, friends, you do not listen for yourself. You listen for people that need to see, that are hungry for victory, that long for the security of the salvation that only Jesus can bring. And we're asking you to not just hear the chorus of heaven that sings the song of Moses throughout eternity, but to allow your heartbeats to join theirs. Scientifically, it's possible. Did you know this? 
There was actually a university in Sweden that did a study. They studied choirs and the physiological effect of singing together in a choir. They studied choirs that sang songs and sang hymns, and they had ear monitors hooked up to them so that it actually registered their heartbeats. And you know how they summarized their study? They said this, when we sing, our hearts beat as one. Because uh, through the songs, the lyrics, our exhales begin to match in the words we sing. Our inhales begin to, to line up. And soon it doesn't take long for our heartbeats to begin beating in the same rhythm. It's a true study. You can Google it if you don't believe me. That always tells the truth, doesn't it? But here's our hope. Our hope is that today your heartbeats and our heartbeats will join the heartbeat of heaven. As we share and we celebrate the song of salvation that comes after victory, before and during war, but we can be sure of in God's consummation that one day his victory will be totally applied. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I have about three times as many notes as I do time to preach. I'm glad some of you are laughing now. You might be crying later. We're going through a wide sloth of Scripture. And to empower your study, you'll see our, 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 our bullet points in your bulletin. Uh, and I hope that you follow along in Scripture. But before we study the word of the Lord, will you go to the Lord of the word with me in prayer? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the sure and finished reality of your victory. We ask that the song of victory that is shaped the saints throughout history and is being sung by choirs even now in heaven would strengthen and shape us today. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would put on the heart of everyone who is hearing your word now someone in their schools, in their families, their friendships, in their workplace, in their neighborhoods, someone that needs to not only hear but to see a life celebrating victory. So we pray that you'd speak to us now. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts to receive. We don't want to just be inspired, Lord. We ask that we would truly be transformed. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. All right, the first thing that we see as we look at Moses' song of salvation is it? it's the Lord who, who fights for us. He is the strength and the song of those who are being saved. Now, uh, m- most of you probably know the context, but not many of you, uh, uh, m- maybe not everybody does. It's summed up well in chapter 14, verse 30. Uh, the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. You see, Israel had served as slaves in Egypt for generation after generation after generation for 400 years. All they knew was slavery and servitude. And in God's providential time and for his purposes, he raised up Moses so that God's people could be redeemed to have an exodus from slavery in Egypt through a demonstration of his power over the gods of Egypt. And that they would be free to go into the wilderness 
to worship him and ultimately into the land of Canaan. And after the last plague of the people, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, released a whole nation of slaves. Mothers and fathers, children, young adults who had known nothing but slavery walked out into freedom. Well, before too long, they reached a roadblock or a sand block because they were walking through the desert. And this was the Red Sea or the Reed Sea. They didn't see a way forward and they began to get nervous because Pharaoh changed his mind. And if you read Exodus 14, it's a phenomenal story. It'll take you about two minutes to read it later today. But you'll see that when Pharaoh realized what he had done, it says that he asked for 600 of his best chariots and then all his other chariots too. (laughs) This guy was in a panic to reclaim his free labor that he had let go to build his empire. And so they went after Israel, ready to overtake them, to recapture them and re-enslave them. And Israel began to panic. They didn't have a military to fight the largest military in the known world at that time. They didn't have confidence in Moses to defeat Pharaoh, who was the most powerful king in the world at that time. And they began to grumble. They began to say, wouldn't it have been better if we'd just been slaves in Egypt instead of have graves here in the wilderness? And Moses, confident of God's salvation, after receiving instructions, said this to them. Moses said to the people, it's on the screen, fear not, stand firm. The salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today, watch and you will see. For the Egyptians you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Now, how would you like that for fighting instructions? Just be still, don't be afraid, and don't say a word. It's all going to be okay. That's what Israel was told to do. That's what Israel did. And when God parted the Red Sea, they walked over on dry ground. The ambitious Egyptian king led his army to follow them. And when he did, the waves crashed over them and God beat them. He defeated them. And standing on the shore, after seeing the salvation of the Lord, the completed work, there was no need to fear anymore. The enemy had been defeated. And Moses and his people began to sing. Verse 31, Israel saw the great power of the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. And then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song before the Lord. God did all the work in salvation for ancient Israel and for us today in Christ. But look at the descriptions of this amazing rescue, the the song that's sung of salvation. In verse 31, Israel saw the power of the Lord and Moses began to sing. In verse 1, the Lord triumphed in battle over the enemy. Verse 2, the Lord is the strength. The Lord is the song because the Lord is salvation. This should be on the screen behind me. Verse 3, it says very clearly, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord fights for us. Now, none of us think of A God who teaches us to sing in the steadfast love of the Lord. He never ceases. His mercies, they never come to an end. Very few of us think of God as a warrior. But the song of Moses sings of the salvation, calling God a man of war who fights for his people. 
He fights for us, and he points us to the ultimate warrior, Jesus Christ, whose love was seen in going to the most difficult place of battle for his people. He warred against sin to the point of death on a cross, triumphing over the grave and defeating Satan by paying the penalty and removing the power of sin. So Moses' song of salvation is from victory. No one's fearing a floating army. But Christians too often are fearing an enemy that's been defeated. Jesus has conquered the enemy. He's the victor. Paul says in Colossians 2.15 that he's completely disarmed the enemy. There are no weapons fashioned against God's people that can be used. 1 Peter 5.8 describes the enemy as one who seeks to devour The gospel reminds us that that Jesus has defanged the enemy. All he's going to come do is gum you. Are you really scared of being gummed? The enemy has no authority over you. He wants to accuse you. He wants you to experience condemnation. But the power of the gospel is clear that even that has been diffused. Paul writes in Romans 8, 1, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If God is for you, he says at the end of the chapter, who can be against you? Nothing can separate you from the, God of, uh, the, the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing in all creation. So we have nothing to fear. But the reality is, Christians today aren't singing of salvation from a completed victory in Christ. We're living as victims always complaining about what we see, always complaining about how how chaotic the world has gotten and, and how dark and discouraging it is. Yes, those are real realities, but they pale in comparison to a God who's risen from the grave and who's ascended into heaven, who is more powerful than the most powerful leaders in the world, who is more powerful than the strongest armies and the strongest militaries in the world. Jesus is victor Because Jesus has redeemed. And we live from victory, not as victims, hoping that God can pull it off. But what's interesting is this song of Moses, we don't have time to go into all of it, it's actually reprised and then repeated in Scripture. And the next time we see it is in Deuteronomy chapter 32. If you have your Bibles, turn there. We we celebrate not only has God fought for us, you know, ancient Egypt, Israel, saving them from Egypt, but most importantly through the cross of Christ, which is a historic reality. But we celebrate that God will fight for us. That future battles, future victories flow from the fountain of his salvation. The Lord is our foundation, just as he is our victor who fights for us, the strength of our song. He's the source of our salvation. Now, if you look through Deuteronomy in verse chapter 31, 19, you'll see God actually commands Moses, teach the people of Israel the song of salvation. Teach it to them. And this is really important for ancient Israel. They didn't read. They, they weren't literate. They were an oral culture. So this song would have shaped their whole life as they're living from the victory of slavery and right before they're going into battle in the promised land, there's an already reality of God's victory over Egypt, but a not yet fully realized reality when they go into the promised land. And this, we don't have time to go into all of it, but Deuteronomy 32, 3 to 4 is on your screen. And it's important that we see the lyrical changes 
in the midst of the thematic unity of Moses' song. For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, Moses sings. Ascribing the greatness to our God, Moses sings. The rock, his work is perfect. In all his ways are just, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Just and upright is he. God is called the rock. And this rock is celebrated not just in what we read in this song of salvation as perfect and just and faithful and upright without sin, but he's also described in verse 15, the rock, the source of our salvation. In verse 18, the one that gives birth to Israel in their very existence. But also in verse 30, the one who will protect and provide for Israel when they go into battle. He is, verse 31, the rock of the nations. There is no other God that compares to him, not in any land or any country, and he alone is worthy of worship. This is significant to point out for one special reason, and that is in 1 Corinthians 10.4, when, when Paul is writing about how all of the Old Testament is something that we can learn lessons from, he calls Jesus Christ the rock, the rock that was with Israel in the wilderness. Jesus is the greater one who's faithful than Moses, greater and more upright the only one without sin, not only the source of salvation for his people, but the source of our very existence. Through him we're called to be a priesthood of believers and part of the church of Jesus Christ, the family of God. He's the one that will protect us when we're attacked. He's the one whom all nations will worship. Jesus is the rock. And Moses' song celebrates the salvation of God, get this, not only after the victory over Egypt, but before the victories of going to the promised land. Already and not yet. Uh, probably the best illustration, you may have heard me use this before, um, I don't know if I have in this service, is from World War II. And you might be familiar with what was celebrated on June 6th. It was D-Day. It was 19. 44, when 1,000 ships carried approximately 200,000 soldiers across the English Channel to commence a devastating attack on enemy forces. The objective that day was to break through the lines so that Hitler and his army could be defeated. It was once they won the shores of Normandy, the Allied forces knew that victory was inevitable. And so while Victory in Europe Day didn't happen until May 8, 1945, 11 months and two days later, everybody knew that because D-Day had been accomplished, that it wasn't a matter of if the Allied troops were going to have victory in Europe, it was a question of when. And that surety empowered them to fight in the trenches at great cost. It gave them strength to push the enemy lines back at great, great personal cost until May 8th when they could claim victory in Europe. The discouragement of our world must be displaced by gospel truth. Greater than D-Day assuring us victory today is the finished work of Jesus Christ who has risen from the grave and ascended into heaven. And yes, the war is real. Yes, there's still kingdom land to be taken. Yes, 
The conflict is going to get more intense. And yes, church, it may cost us our lives. I will be the first to stand up and to say, for me, to live is gain, but to die is greater gain and glory, to join with Paul so that the blood of the martyrs might be the seedbed of the kingdom to grow because death is not the end. Death is a new beginning for eternity with God. Our suffering and our struggle today are light and momentary afflictions that will give weight to a greater glory. What we experience here is not the whole story. There is an eternity. And that victory is sure. We have a God who's on the throne and he says he's making all things new. Like birth pains in labor. We got to push through the problems so that new life can come on the other side, church. We can be sure of our victory at great personal cost. We will serve King Jesus because he has redeemed us. And what John writes in Revelation as he repeats and reemphasizes this song of salvation is in the context of extreme persecution. John's on the island of Patmos. He's exiled. He has had family die in the name of Christ. Church is persecuted. A whole emperor of an emperor empire turned all their forces under Nero to try to exterminate Christians, blaming them for the problems of the empire. And John writes, because he sees this revelation of heaven, he hears the songs of eternity. And Revelation is full of songs, full of victory. And one of the lyrics of the chorus, one of the songs that is sung in salva of salvation in heaven is Moses' song of salvation. Can you believe that? Look at it. You don't believe me? It's okay. Look with me. Revelation 15. We're just going to read verses 3 to 4. They sing the song of Moses. Who are they? Heavenly choirs. Who are they? These are eternal beings that are singing glory to the king. They sang the song of Moses. Why are they singing the song of Moses? Because we know that it celebrates a sure past victory and a secure future victory. The servant of God, they sang of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds. O Lord God Almighty, just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Do you see? Revelation reorients hearts from the discouragement and the difficulty of our days and focuses on a king who has saved. It's a completed action. Jesus is one. And what we know in part now, we will fully know one day. And the hope is that our hearts begin to beat with heaven as we join the chorus. The enemy has been defeated already. Christ's kingdom has been inaugurated, though not fully consummated. And Christians sing of salvation today grateful for salvation on the cross and sure of the complete salvation and restoration when Christ returns. God is faithful and he will finish what he started.
The continued themes in Moses' song and Revelation are, are worth noting. First of all, the greatness and amazing nature of God's deeds. He has won. He is victorious. Present tense. Number two, God is almighty. Almighty. With all might. And the nations, even his enemies, will serve him. And then verse, the third thing is this fear of the Lord. We don't fear our enemies that are floating in the sea. We fear the Lord who alone is almighty. But he's so good and so gracious that he allows us to, to be ripped from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. And this has at least three implications. This is where we're going to land. First, Christians live from victory. There's no room for you to live as a victim. There's no room for you to live defeated and discouraged. Jesus has won. Jesus will come and consummate everything. Jesus is making all things new. I have a friend who likes watching scary movies, but they can't watch scary movies because they get too scared. So you know what they do? They watch the end of the movie first. So when they know how the movie ends, they're able to enjoy all the scary parts in the movie. All right? Say, so Christians, we know how the movie ends. We know how the story ends. There's no more death, no more suffering, no more mourning. The old order is completely passed away. There's no more tears because Jesus, our King, makes all things new. So we can live in the midst of scary times with all kinds of sincere faith shaped by the song of our salvation. Second, uh, I want you to please study Scripture. Learn the lyrics of the song of salvation so that your hearts will beat with heaven. We live in a day where uh, biblical literacy is, a, is at an all-time low in our country. And God graciously invites us to know him and the power of his resurrection through his revealed word. And there's so many ways for you to do that. Even yesterday, I downloaded an app that is actually done by some urban artists in Atlanta. And they have gone all the way through scripture, and they have this in Spanish too, but they, they have gone, they got the whole Bible, an audio Bible, and they do it in a spoken word format. I've listened to four chapters in two days because I love it! There's so many ways that you can get God's word hidden in your heart so that your heartbeat can, be, can begin to beat with heaven. And it's his grace and his love that invites you to have that level of intimate relationship. So it may not be a spoken word app. It may just be God's word, uh, just reading it daily, digesting it, memorizing it. But take time. Take times to put away the headlines of, of the world and allow the headlines of heaven to give you hope and to secure your future. Finally, help others to see victory in Christ. This is what the hearts are really hungering for. People are not really hungry for another NBA championship in our city. People are really hungry to know that all the sad things are going to be untrue. People are really hungry to know that all of the injustices of our world will be redeemed and restored and, and justice will prevail. People are desperate to know that the hunger and the famine that we see in the, the, our city with the largest economic disparity of any major metro area in the world, I mean, our country, not the world, or our country, that there is actually a people who care more about serving the poor 
than accumulating more for ourselves. Because we've been shaped by the song of victory and we know that everything God has given us is, is to steward so that everyone who is captive will be free. Everyone who is enslaved will be free. Everyone who is in darkness will be brought to light. For this is why our king came, to use the church to be bearers of his light and his love in a world that is dark and fractured, not fearful, not living as victims, but living as victors. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the reality of your finished work, for who you are and what you've done. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us victory in Christ. We ask, King Jesus, that you would shape us more by the song of your salvation so that we can shape the world. Lord, for those that are here today with more questions than answers, more fear than faith, those that are more comfortable in darkness than they are light, those who are comfortable hating their neighbors more than loving them, those who see people that are in political parties that are different than them or uh, some sort of socioeconomic status that's different uh, as a foe rather than a friend, we pray that your love would ambush them, overwhelm them, and give them this invitation to know you and your salvation. And Lord, please, please revive your church. You've called us to imitate you, to walk in love as dearly loved children, giving ourselves as you gave yourself for us. So Lord, secure in your finished work and hopeful for the consummation and application of that work. We go forward and pray your Holy Spirit would guide us in Jesus' name. Amen.